Well, um, I'm going to... Boy, it's warm in here. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we read the Word of God. Partially you're standing because it's warm and I want you guys to wake up. Um, Partially you're standing. We don't do this often, but because the Word of God is worthy to honor and stand before. And so I'm going to read to you from this passage of Scripture. And it's a little longer, so... um, I hope you can stand through it. But one of the things I want you to know is it's really a great passage of Scripture. I was really excited about sharing this passage of Scripture because it's not about me or you or us. It's about the other people that we... You know, this is one of those great ones. It's about the Pharisees teaching the law. It's about hypocrites. So it's not about us. It's about the church down the road. It's about maybe the person at work. It's about maybe the person sitting next to you. You know, it's all those things. Unless you um, take a different posture. And say, use this word, God, to speak to my heart. Verse 34, chapter 14 in Matthew. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesareth. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. And then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might have otherwise received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are just rules taught by men. And Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand what goes into the man's mouth doesn't make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. And then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into the pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart And these make a man unclean. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating what is with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Let's pray. Father, again, help us to encounter you. May your word come alive to us. May we come even more so alive to it and to you. Spirit of God, we ask that you would speak to my heart and to each and every heart here today. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I think this is interesting because the teaching begins with a series of questions. And the first one is from the Pharisees, which come to Jesus and they say, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. This is a big issue to them. And Jesus is rather Socratic in his approach, you know, because he he hears a question, so then he asks a question. It's really a good thing to do. One way to answer someone who's coming to you with questions or they're trying to manipulate you to try and trap you to do certain things that they want, one of the good things to do is just ask a question back. 
And so Jesus does that. He says, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? What I want to do this morning is to continue asking a bunch of questions, just a series of five questions. And here they are as we go through this passage. Are you majoring on the minors? Whose approval are you seeking? Are you concerned about looking good or being healthy? Do you pay more attention to your rules than your heart? And have you established one rule to guide you throughout your life? Those are some questions I think that will be raised as we go through this passage. Because if you begin in chapter 14, the reason I started there in verse 34 and didn't just kind of let it go from last week is because we're talking about your life script. And as we come to verse 34, verse 34 through verse 36 actually helps set up this next life script, which is about playing, you know, is, is about by the rules. We've looked at fear. We've looked at um, this idea of playing it safe and stepping and getting out of the boat. Now we're looking at this whole idea of people caught up in rules. And and what are rules for? And rules are really good things. They're guidelines. They're supposed to be guidelines to help us stay in the love of God and express the love of God. So when they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. And, And so here you have this idea. Jesus comes out of the boat. They've just come from walking on the water. And Jesus steps out of the boat. And people start coming all around him. And people brought all their sick to him. In verse 36, and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. If you note the power of God displayed when the presence of God is available, there is a sense that we do pray for the presence of God to be manifested in a more full way. But what's really interesting when you look at this, the presence of God seems to manifest itself where God is sought, where people are desperate for him, where people want him because they need him so much in their life, so that these people are so desperate for him, so hungry for them, that as they come to him, their faith in this person, God through Christ, draws out the power of God into their life so that we read people brought all their sick to him and all who touched him in faith were healed there are times that wholeness and health become so fully touched by God through his power because of his tangible undiluted presence which is in our midst so people talk about revivals and experiences where they have gone through it I knew a man back in seminary his name was Coleman who went through a revival where they saw these miracles of God of healing etc revival means revive which means life again it's really the way that God intended it for us to live was in this sense of brokenness desperation understanding of our humility where we understand life in our presence of this presence of God that allows for God to make himself known and when that happens the focus isn't on miracles although that's what people tend to do the focus is on who god is and when god shows up he gives free passes often to people by giving his power into their lives and so you note the touch of faith and they begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak and all who touched him were healed and i thought as i prayed this if i could only touch your cloak jesus as a pastor as one in this community so that the power of God could be released in my life, at least which I'm responsible for, my family, as best I know how, in this church. And then I thought, oh, if we could only have a drop of your outpouring Holy Spirit. If we would just all seek him like desperate people. Because it says that they, they begged him. Note amidst all the, the alls and the touch, and all this touching that's going on that's bringing healing, there were those some who were very upset. In fact, they were disturbed and, in, in, in fact, angry. 
Some were thrilled. Their child was healed. Mom was well. Dad can see. A cousin can walk it. There were some who were deeply concerned. They stand back and criticize. They complain. They're looking at Jesus. They're looking at this move of the Holy Spirit, which often happens when the move of the Holy Spirit begins to take place. People begin to look at it, and they begin to judge whether the Holy Spirit is really holy. And that's what they're doing in this life with Jesus. And, and the point that's really important here is all the touching that's going on, because the touching is an issue for the religious conservatives of that day. See, Jesus was actually rubbing shoulders with many who were defiled in the crowd. Jesus seemed free to touch the unclean without any reservation. He could walk among them, eat with them, and even go party, to parties with them, and he wasn't, it seemed, concerned. And so that raised question, is this really God? All this touching raises some serious doubts in the minds of these Pharisees and teachers of the law. New Testament scholar Don Carson writes, The stricter groups, such as the Pharisees and the Essenes, counted it an abomination to rub shoulders in a crowd. One never knew what, un, what ceremonial uncleanness one might contract. Jesus' unconcern about such thing neatly sets the stage for the confrontation which we're about to read over clean and unclean. So here's the first question. Are you majoring on the minors? What do you find yourself so concerned about? Are you looking at what God is doing, or do you only see what you think he should be doing in the way that you think he should be doing it? Are you missing all that God is doing because of some minor concern about your rules? What I find is really interesting here is as this touching is going on, and Jesus seems to be unconcerned with the defilement because you can't make him who is holy unclean. In fact, anything that touches that which is holy gets clean. It's kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? And so here are people being healed, cleansed from sin and disease, and these teachers of the laws and the Pharisees are concerned about ritual hand-washing, about who you're rubbing shoulders with. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting that when you get caught up with rules, not as guidelines to know the love of God and to express the love of God, but when rules become important because they define who you are, and in it you somehow find your sense of of identity and self-righteousness, now the rules become so important that the things that were meant to be minors now become majors. I heard someone say, if the difference doesn't make a difference, then what's the difference? I remember when my... uh, my oldest daughter was in high school, and we're going through one of those times as a father with a teenager. Anybody been there before? And it was around the time all this IM messaging was going on, and I was more concerned that she'd do her homework. And there were some good guidelines that I felt she should follow, but I was getting more caught up. And, and, and all of a sudden I began to realize there was a lot of symptomatic stuff going on that I was really concerned about. And I went away to a conference, and I was sitting just quietly before the Lord, journaling and looking, and this little girl passed before my eyes. And when I saw this little girl, I saw my little daughter, and it was like God said, look at her like that again. Your focus is on a whole lot of things. They're not that they're not important, but your focus is off, and what's off is relationship. Well, Matthew continues... 
Chapter 15, verse 1 through 2. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. And you want to note that from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. This was a question they had planned to share with him. This was a, an issue of accreditation with the, 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 the Pharisees because he wasn't kind of measuring up to the rules that they had put in place. If you note here, Matthew clearly indicates this isn't merely some representative of some Pharisees in some outlying districts or regions. That's been happening throughout his ministry, but now at this point in his ministry, things are changing. Jerusalem and those who are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have now got the the attention of this guy Jesus is in their face, and people are starting to follow him. In fact, they had just fed a whole bunch of people, and they wanted to make him king, so they better find out whether this is truly the Messiah, so they better come with some really good questions. And one of those questions are, you're not ritually washing your hands. And Jesus, you know, when you look at it, I love this. You know, he, he's not looking at some minor accreditation team. He's looking at the central major central office, so to speak. When I was the uh, executive director at Trinity International University, I was the executive director of that, um, the, the extension site down in the Florida area, there would be, from time to time when I was there, someone from the state would come and they would want to look at your files to make sure you're doing things right. Because they have the ability to shut things down from a state level, but they weren't really our major concern. Often they would come in and they would put a few dings on us just to let us know they were the boss. You know, the exit sign wasn't in the right place. The, the fire extinguisher was too hot. You know, all these little things. And we'd have about five or six. We'd take care of them and we'd send it back. When I was in my last two years at that school, one of the things that they were preparing for, which brought great fear throughout the whole organization, was the fact that their 10-year accreditation process was coming up. This wasn't some state regional thing. This was the national one. And when they came in and looked at the whole university, University, they could actually come in and shut you down by federal government. People were all afraid. Jesus was facing the national accreditation team. Yet when you look at Jesus, he wasn't flustered. He lived under the approval of someone higher, more fully, who he was responsible to. More important eyes. Whose approval are you seeking? Whose eye are you living under? What opinion really counts? I'm not saying that in work and other places you don't watch the approval of legitimate your own work responsibilities and and in the marriages you know there are all these things that we need to live up to out of love but i'm talking about the sense of those things that rule and guide you that drive you to do the things so that you'll find acceptance in their eyes not necessarily in god's eyes I remember watching um, years ago this interview with brian gumbel brian gumbel was a, for 15 years was the you know tv host of the today show and he was at kind of his prime and he was in this place where the relationships he was having with uh, Deborah Norville and others was he was just kind of always going out of control because of his drivenness and his critical spirit and all the stuff and they were asking him questions and they were talking to him about his life and he was saying that you know one of the things that just drives him so it just drives him to be what he is and where he's at and all these things was his father he just lived in, under the approval of his father's eye. I remember at a certain point, as you're talking about it, the, the announcer asked him, 
Well, do you see your father much? And I think his response was, well, my dad's dead. He's been dead for a number of years. And I was just so struck by that because you know what? We have patterns that we have from our childhood that, that have been placed within us. And, and, and it may not be a father, it may be a mother, it may be some other authority. But there's somehow in our life we have to get real with this with regard to what our rules and what drives us. Whose approval are you driven by? Or are you called by one who loves you, who calls you into relationship so that you can walk like Jesus in a sense non-flustered as there are opinions of people out there important to hear but not necessarily to move or drive you. And so Jesus does this. And the accreditation team that was really important to him was the Father and Spirit. In Matthew 5, verse 15, verses 3 through 11, Jesus replied to their manipulative question. He just kind of controls the situation back in a very loving way and asks, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. This is a big command, guys. Jesus is really making a foundational distinction between the authority, the command of God, the Word of God, capital W, when He speaks to your heart, and what I, in the Scripture, calls here the halakhic tradition, which is really the interpretation of a word that men put on it. Often very good. The rules that we take and we derive from God's Word that are really one step removed are usually done because of a cultural situation that we're in. And it's, a, and it's an opportunity to says, you know what, this might be dangerous to our soul, so you want to avoid that. But it's not a black and white universal thing. It's something that's to guide us into the love of God so we can express the love of God so that our hearts don't get trapped by something. But what happens is people, because we're people, we get caught more into the sense of the rule being important because it's the rule that begins to define us and our identity is in the sense of we're following the rules and now we think that God is approving us because we're following the rules and the reality is the only thing that these people didn't really understand these Pharisees and law keepers and you and me often is that God is really caught up with broken desperate people who recognize the fact the only thing that matters is his definition of who you are and that you walk in the understanding of that grace and that humility. And so Jesus says in verse 5, and this, this but you in verse 5 is emphatic, but you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, which is the word korban, you could look at it and go, oh, that money, mom and dad, because you didn't have a good relationship with your mom and dad, or you didn't really like your mom and dad, or you really wanted people to see you as more holy, so you might even just snub them a little bit, you would say, korban, that money is dedicated to God. And they are not, in a sense, to honor their father or mother with it. He says, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You not only willfully do this, but you encourage others to do so as well. Because in this whole process, when they would actually take this and they would say, you know, mom and dad, I'm sorry, but I actually took this money. I know it could really help you, but, and, and, and I've taken it and I've given it to God. How can you, how can you fight giving something to God? And we do that kind of stuff. I do that kind of stuff. And so you give it to God, and, and what happens is it's really doing two things. It's, it's snubbing and it's not honoring, which honoring someone is really the lowest form of love in a sense. And, and so you, you remove that, and then you take it and you put it here as if it's to God, because it shows in a sense that you really love God. You look good in His eyes, and you appear good. 
And then here's the real kicker to this whole thing. Because what happens in this is, is they actually take this gift and they give it to who? The teachers of the laws and the Pharisees. Who's benefiting from the gift? And it's this inclusion of a cycle that is really just all everybody in this community patting one another in the back. You are so righteous and good. Because we're following these rules and our rules define us and they are the things that make us righteous. And the reality is the only thing that makes us righteous is what was done on the cross. By his love. And so he says in verse 7, you hypocrites. He hasn't called them this yet. This is the first time in Matthew. In fact, in Matthew 23, he'll say it seven times. Basically, seven times this number, symbolic meaning, the fullness of your hypocrisy is now made manifest. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. God's word through Isaiah hit the mark. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And the charge is simple. You make a show of devotion. In fact, Isaiah leveled the same, the same charge some 400 years before to another bunch of religious rule keepers who were about their looking justified and righteous in their own eyes and in the eyes they thought of God and disregarding those things which were more important. And they looked on the outside good and they made a show of it, but inside their hearts had all kinds of unhealth. So verse 10, Jesus calls the crowd to him and he said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. And the point hits home to all of us. It's easy to lose focus. It's easy to begin concerned about what's external, the appearance, the show, what looks good rather than what is healthy. So here's the question I ask you to consider. Are you more concerned about looking good or being healthy? Health always leads to goodness. What I, what I, I did a message a number of years ago, and a lot of people responded positively to it, because I think it's just filled with the Word of God and truth, that we're called to live in the light. We're not called to be good, necessarily. We're called to live in the light. When you live in the light, the light does two things. It exposes who you really are, and that causes humility and hopefully honesty, if you're willing to be right with God. And so what you happen is you get exposed by the light, and so you become like this desperate, broken person that begs God and says, I see my heart, I see my own sin, I see how I can, can hurt people and my attitudes and all these things. And because your light is defining me, then through both humility and through honesty, when you can move to that place because you know that your value is in God and not in anything that you do, but it's in, in His love for you, you can look at yourself by the grace of God, begin to see yourself with that humility, and then with that honesty, and as a result of that, health begins to happen. When health begins to happen, you begin to experience the love of God. The love of God begins to pour out into your heart and life, and that love begins to express itself to others. And when that love begins to move out of our heart, the love that motivates the actions of our heart are good. It's not even about you being good. Does that make sense? All right. Anyway, so humility and honesty always lead to God and to his goodness. What Matthew fifteen twelve through 14 says then, then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And I just get such a kick out of that. Isn't that funny? I mean, just seriously, think about it a second. They're kind of going, 
You know, Jesus, um, a couple of things you just said really ticked off the accreditation team. I don't think we're going to get a passing grade. I think they may want to shut us down. Think about it for a second. I just love it. I, what I find is so interesting in this is that, that often religious rule keepers, when we get caught up with our righteousness being in the things that we do and they're out here, it's really easy for us to be often offended. You need to really look at that for a second. If you find yourself often offended, you have to begin to understand, is there something out here that God might want you to see? If you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus wasn't too often personally offended. His offense was often for those that were being kept from the love of God. And pride and self-righteousness often underlies a great deal of offense. So he replied, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots, verse 13. And then catch this, verse 14, lead them, they're blind guides. If the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a pit. See, Israel in the Old Testament is often referred to as a plant, and what Jesus is saying here is profoundly important to these people. There are plants that really look like good plants, but they're not. It may be that you watch this, God says, and he's pulling these plants up. He's exposing their self-righteousness, and when that happens, they're offended, they're angry. They take postures of criticism because they do not want it. The last thing they want to do is leave the security of their self-righteousness because to be desperate, to beg, to say, God, I see my heart and my soul. I am so overwhelmed with humility at the honesty as I look at my life and see how much I need you. Would you touch me? That's not for them. And so Jesus gives some strong advice here in the face of rule-keeping. Leave them. In a sense, move on. Don't chase after them. Let them choose to follow me. Because Jesus had a mission. He had something he was after. The Holy Spirit was at work. It was not just a work in his ministry that would end in the cross. It would then in the resurrection be the outpouring in a church. That a church would then go throughout the whole world. There was no way he was going to after he had compassionately. And you look at scripture. He didn't just blow them off. He listened to them. But at a certain point he said it's time that you have to lose the disillusionment with the sense of their self-righteousness. And recognize that righteousness is in God and that he has a purpose in his Spirit is calling you to do it, so leave them because they're blind guides. And I think this is really critical, too, because he calls them blind guides. Because as teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they, they actually were known by people as guides to the blind. That was one of their nicknames. Oh, yeah, here comes the guides to the blind. Because they had the law and the rules, and, and that was like a light. They called that a light. And the guides to the blind are coming. And Jesus, this is his humor, you guys. He looks at his disciples and he says, guess what, guys? They're blind guides of the blind. And I think internally they're going, oh, no, he's offending them again. But they're laughing. Because everybody knew it. And so the question is this. Do you pay more attention to your rules than to your heart? The Pharisees had actually become blind to their heart because they were so focused on what their rules were and on what other people were keeping those rules. 
And it is really possible to lose our way the moment we think our rule-keeping is what makes us good before God. And then we get into the rule-keeping society, making sure everyone's following that rule just right. Another way to question this is, put the question is, are you into rules or are you into looking into your heart? Now, I want you to really follow this line of thought for a second, okay? Please, this I think is, is kind of interesting. I believe God shared this revealed some of this truth to me that's really important for the church, for the body. A focus on rules can actually lead to the very attitudes that underlie the actions that underlie the actions you're trying to avoid. Okay? Put another way. Rule keeping can actually breed pride and sinful attitudes even while you look really good. See, in their rule-keeping, the Pharisees actually became blind to the destructive attitudes of their own hearts. They looked well-behaved, they looked good to everyone else, but their hearts revealed attitudes that were filthy. Rules alone give a false sense of spiritual safety and end up protecting a sin-filled heart. And here's the thing, you often don't even see it. Over time, you become blind to the filth of your own heart attitudes as you work so hard to scrub clean your actions that others you hope see. Freakonomics is this uh, book that came out, The Hidden Side of Everything. I was listening to a Freakonomics radio podcast a couple weeks ago called The Danger of Safety. And as I was listening to it and also thinking about the messages coming up, this just hit me hard. Host Stephen Dubner, and there's a PhDs from U of Chicago, there were some neurosurgeons from, from Boston and others were talking, and they talked about the recent research that has showed how an increase in safety in football and hockey and car racing can actually lead to greater aggression. Andrew, would you play that little part of the podcast? A lot of people think the biggest problem in the game today is that players use their helmets not so much as protection, but as a weapon. The way, for instance, in football, in my opinion, that we're going to have to address this problem is to eliminate the helmet as the initial point of contact in the act of tackling and even to a certain extent in blocking as well. Quite frankly, when people didn't have the helmets of the security that there are today, didn't have the face mask, and you had to worry about your nose winding up in your ear from using your face in a tackle. Um, you didn't use your face, obviously. So as the safety equipment gets better, our behavior becomes more aggressive. Absolutely. Very much more aggressive, very much more violent. We've seen the same thing happen in ice hockey as well. Um, and when, when you put face and head protection on people, they're not as worried about taking blows to that area. And so the, the aggressive nature of the activity is greatly enhanced. Could it be that a focus on rule-keeping, what we do, the kind of things that create safety because we feel righteous in the rules that we're about, actually creates an external safeness and security that allows our heart, what we are, to lose sight of the very attitudes that destroy us and others. As Jesus said, we clean up the outside only to find the inside with filthy attitudes of judgment and lust and hatred and greed because the aggressive attitudes that are not seen are safe behind the good-looking actions of well-behaved people. 
And people look in from the outside and they go, I don't want to be a part of that. Are you looking at your heart? Or is your focus on rules? Matthew 15, 5, 15 through 20 ends and says, Peter said, explain the parable to us. And I love it. Jesus says, are you still so dull? Oh, Peter, really? Didn't you just walk on water? And I just want to tell you, I'm in the same boat as Peter. How slow we all are, none of us. Even you who may be walking on water are free from the fog of our own past mindsets and our own desire to look good. Anytime you're leaving a dysfunctional system, whether it's religious or a family or a human relational system, it takes time to get clarity. There is a disillusionment with what was that has to take place. And so Jesus says, don't you see that whatever enters a mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and that's what defiles them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands, come on, guys. That's not defiling anybody. And here's the question I just end the service with, and I'm asked the team if they would come in at this time. Here's the question I want you to think about as we go into this time of just closing in worship. What is the one rule you will choose to guide your life? The main thing for Jesus was this. Rules were meant to help us walk in the understanding of the love and goodness of God so that that love and goodness of God would control us. And through that, we would then express this loving God in ways that people's hearts are drawn to.